0: Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast, seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. I'd love to invite you to sit up straight in your chair Um, if you can and um, just place your two feet flat on the ground and if you feel comfortable you can put your hands out on your lap like that or just close your eyes and um, let's just invite um, a moment of silence just to centre ourselves invite God's spirit just for one minute a bit of peace in the week Yeah, Father God, we thank you today for your presence with us and for one another and for being here today and for your your mercies today, your goodness to us. We pray that your shalom, your peace would rest on each and every soul in this room. And may you minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Keep praying for the electricity <laughs> that we get through the next morning. The beautiful thing about communities of faith, of course, is that um, we don't really need much, to be honest. We just need a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine, and one another together this morning. So no matter what happens, if the lights go dark, we're going to worship Jesus. Um, we're in a series called Liberated by Love, and um, hopefully, we actually do have the screen. Brilliant. There's going to be a scripture passage come up on the screen because we're in part three today and we're in the gospel of Luke. So if you've got an app on your phone or a Bible, turn to Luke chapter seven and I'm going to read from the NRSV version. It will be up on the screen. So if you don't want to do that, you can just follow along on the screen. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm going to read this passage, Jesus raising the widow's son at Nain and then we'll jump in. So verse 11 Of Luke chapter 7. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he was moved with compassion for her, and said to her, do not cry. Then he came forward and touched the bear, and the bearers stopped. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. This word about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding region. I want to, us to kind of dive into this little story in Luke 7 just for 20 or no longer than 30 minutes, hopefully, this morning. Um, I think there's some powerful, simple, but beautiful truth for us here. Nain was this small town in southern Galilee. It's about 20 miles from Capernaum where Jesus had just been. If you read the bit before we read, he was in Capernaum. In fact, there's going to be a photograph come up as I continue my tour of my trip (laughs) to Israel-Palestine. This is the Sea of Galilee. The next one, Mark, this is the synagogue in Capernaum. It's one of the synagogues where Jesus would have stood up and read from the scroll and ministered the the town where Peter and Peter's mother was from. And um, so, Jesus was ministering in this area of Galilee, um, and Luke tells us that he traveled from this place, which is kind of a larger town, to Nain, which is a really kind of small village, really. And Luke says that a, a large crowd went with him. Jesus had kind of, as I said, begun his ministry as a traveling rabbi in this region in the north, away from the centers of power, away from Jerusalem. In fact, there was no real, like, Roman presence there. As such, the the, the soldiers and so on weren't up in this. It was just kind of hillbilly land, if you want to put it like that. It was kind of out of the way. But Jesus had begun his ministry, and he had kind of got a bit of a reputation. There people following him, and Luke was making clear that there was actually a large crowd at this point in, in the gospel had begun to follow Jesus. And so they followed him down as he was proclaiming the kingdom of God, as he was teaching and as he was performing miracles. They followed him from Capernaum down to this little village called Nain. People knew of him, as I say, his reputation was growing. But he reaches the gate, like we've just read. The gate was kind of the place to enter into the town. And he comes across a funeral procession. The dead son of a widow um, is being carried out in like a bier, I think is how you pronounce that, like an open casket, if you will. And as I say, there was a large crowd from the town with that woman, who is a widow, who's lost her husband, now she's lost her son, which is quite, they're mourning the loss of this man. And it's quite normal that the whole town would be participating in this. If a, especially in a small town, if someone died, the whole village or town would, would gather around the family and would, it would touch, would touch everyone. The procession was likely on the way from the home, right through the village. Um, and it was going to go out through that gate and on the outskirts of the town, outside the town, to the burial site. And the burial site would likely have been a small cave. In fact, when I was traveling through that region, um, I was on the Sea of Galilee, traveling through Capernaum and other little towns. I saw a lot of caves in the hills. It was kind of something like that. That would have been like a family burial site. And I guess the father, the husband, probably his bones were in there. Probably carefully managed. Now I'm put into like a bone box, you know. And so the shelf is free for the next burial. The family cave. The father's bones there. And of course, the graves are outside the town because of what a little bit of what Stephanie shared last week about the ceremonial laws and the cleanness and the uncleanness, so we want the, the corpses and the dead things away from the living things, hence why it's outside the town. Not like us, in fact, you know, I was at the Ulster Museum recently with Owen and Beth and we, we looked out that window. If you've ever been in the Ulster Museum and there's the oldest burial site in Belfast, just like... On that road, I think it's the Strand, the Strand Millis Road. It's um, just right in the middle of where we're all living and working and there's like a burial site. We have graveyards right throughout, of course, our city. But in this culture um, and this religion, of course, the ceremonial laws meant separation of what is clean and what is unclean. A bit like the leper last week. <coughs> Excuse me. So, as for the custom, the town would have been participating in the funeral. I actually find it quite interesting. They would have been wailing and making a lot of noise. I've often seen pictures of that part of the world, even today, where it really is like a big funeral procession, there's a lot of noise, and a lot of bodily engagement, and a lot of wailing, and and an expression of grief that perhaps isn't the same as our modern Western way of expressing grief. Um, And actually, it was Tom Wright that actually highlighted to me the fact that part of that is actually to help cover the embarrassment of the family. There's nearly like a professional grieving. There's the noise and the wailing from the village, so that in the middle of that, the family themselves can grieve and not feel embarrassed for crying because everyone's covering it with their kind of slightly removed grief, if you understand. So it's like it kind of carries the family through. If you see the version the way we would grieve, and it's all solemn, and often it's only the people that are grieving that they nearly have to suppress their grief not to make a scene, I think there's something beautiful about this community approach to mourning the grief of a lost, uh, of, of the loss of a person in the village. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's a kinder ritual, perhaps, and so the scene, the noise, the wailing, and there's the smell, of course, um, taking the corpse outside of the town. And Jesus and his large crowd from Capernaum come in through the gate and they encounter this funeral procession. And it says, we have this beautiful encounter. It says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he was moved with compassion. The NIV says his heart went out to her. And the Greek word there is for compassion. It's like an intense compassion. Jesus had an intense compassion on this complete stranger who was mourning the loss of her son. And he actually turned to her and said, do not cry, so she was crying in the midst of that. Of course, funerals in that part of the world, they take place on the same day that the person dies because of the heat and, of course, the inability to keep a body from decomposing. So this woman's crying is raw. This pain is fresh. She's just lost her son. It's not like four days later. This has just happened. And, of course, there's people there with the spices. They're going to anoint the body that covers the smell with the, the, the spices and the usual rituals. But the point here, as I've said, is that this woman's grief and loss is raw and real. She has just lost her son that day. And this is what's just happened. And Jesus sees this. <clears throat> he sees this, and his heart goes out to her. So much so that he interrupts the procession. And the passage says, we just read it, he came forward and he touched the bear and the bearers stopped. And I've heard someone comment that actually perhaps why they stopped was because, well, you're not supposed to touch the casket. Again, it's unclean. Um, So they maybe stopped in shock. The bearers, of course, are carrying it, but they would have to go through a ceremonial process after the fact to cleanse themselves and all of that. But no one else would touch it. And so Jesus comes up, he touches it, they stop. And um, of course, it continues Jesus' streak or his habit of completely ignoring religious and cultural taboos um, in the name of love and in the name of dignity and humanity and in the name of the kingdom of God. Jesus tends to do this a lot and he did it with the leper last week. Stephanie was telling us, he does it here. And even more shocking than touching the casket, he, um, he, actually, he actually asks the corpse, tells the corpse to rise. He tells the young man to, to rise and the dead man rises from the dead and he speaks it says the young man I say to you rise The the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother so Jesus actually got his hands on this young boy maybe helped him down and actually gave him over he was very very involved and Jesus you know something quite amazing something that has separated has created a separation between mother and son has been reunited something that was disconnected has been reunited and the people all around, the villagers, the family, the friends, they're Jewish people, of course. And so they've witnessed this strange, as I've said, this strange traveling rabbi from Nazareth. They've heard a little bit about him. He's doing some things. He's just walked up into their town and he's performed something that they've only just read in their holy scripture from the great prophets. We're talking about the, the big capital P prophets. We're talking about Elijah and Elisha who have raised people from the dead in First and Second Kings, those stories and here's this traveling rabbi who's like no one really knows who he is a bit of a crowd with him he's just come in and he's done what the the big p prophets of our story elijah and elisha he's he's just done that in front of their eyes it's a big deal if you're a jewish person particularly living in that time and they declare in that verse a great prophet has risen up among us even in the region of from galilee our great prophet because he's he's like elijah And he's like Elisha. And they say that God has visited his people. And that doesn't mean that he's come around for a cup of tea like in a social way. That's kind of a phrase that is borrowed from when God shows up in the exodus. When he saves his people. When he he rescues his people. God has come and visited us. Those great moments in their story. They nearly con- they confess that God is God is before God is doing something. He's here. He's with us in this small little town called Nain. It kind of means that to rescue to save. It means that this is the time that we've been waiting for. And so no wonder this news spread throughout the region. Something's going on with this strange traveling rabbi from Nazareth. I love how Eugene Peterson translates that passage. It should be up on the screen, Luke 7 again, Mark um, in the message. He says in verse 16, they all realized uh, they were in a place of holy mystery. I love that. The people were astonished, they were bewildered, they were terrified, (laughs) they were delighted, they were in awe, they were in a place of holy mystery. Like God was at work among them they were quietly worshipful and then noisily grateful calling out among themselves God is back looking to the needs of his people and the news of Jesus spread through all the I love that translation a place of holy mystery God was at work among them quiet full worship noisy gratitude and that God is looking after the needs of his people God sees them That God hasn't forgotten them we don't have a lot of room in our modern life for mystery if you've got a job you're paid to show up because you know what you're doing (laughs) you're paid to show up and do a task because you know what you're doing You know what you're about. You know how to make that thing, deliver that service, measure that thing. You know, the the workplace designs us, forms us to be people that are just of certainty, I guess. of We've got a task and we do it. And we're formed in a way in the modern age, away from things like mystery and uncertainty. We enter the workplace to execute, to, to know what we're talking about and all of that kind of thing even back in the day, the idols of superstition have now actually been replaced today by, you might argue, idols of certainty or, or information. So it's like, we used to be, there used to be superstition, and now today we're all about, we can measure stuff, um, we've got modern science, we can figure stuff out, and it's nearly like it's an idol in and of itself, the age of information, modern age. And yet we're reminded in this story That spiritual life, that life close to Jesus involves mystery. It's a place of mystery. And I guess it invites us to think about how we might cultivate that kind of openness to mystery in our own lives. That if our lives are continually being formed just by the world we live in, perhaps our hearts don't have a capacity for wonder or for awe or for enchantment. Or for the God of surprise. The God that might show up. A place of holy mystery. The kind of encounter that might call forth quietful worship and noisy gratitude. That might call forward astonishment, worship and gratitude. If you've been around children, children get this whole idea really well. Like mystery and awe. This week, the snow fell. Anyone? noticed that. <laughs> and to a lot of us, it was a blinking nuisance. But to my son, Owen, it was like everything was changed. I mean, is there anything quite like snow that changes everything? It even changes like the resonance of the sound in the air. Have you ever like walked through different, your, 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 wherever you live, you kind of... Sound resonates differently because the whole thing is covered in a different... It's just, it transforms everything for a moment. And if you've got eyes to see, you'll see that it's a beautiful thing. Except for the rest of it's it's like clogging up the roads and it's keeping us late for work. Holy mystery took place in Nain. But the holy mystery was not that the unclean corpse made the rabbi unclean. The holy mystery was that the rabbi, the strange rabbi from Nazareth, who's apparently doing some things, his holiness actually made the corpse come back to life. That the power direction was in that way and not the other. But like last week when we were looking at the story of the leper, it seems that death had no place here. Death had no authority here. It seems, again, a place of holy mystery. I guess the main point I want to draw out though today, besides that, little reflection upon mystery, is that all of this stems from the heart of a God of compassion, the heart of a God of mercy, that Jesus had this intense compassion toward this widow. And let me remind you of this. There's a quintessential moment back in the Old Testament when, you know, Moses, one of the patriarchs of the story, he's seeking to lead the people of Israel and he goes up the mountain, he goes to encounter God and he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That whole holy encounter with God, it's a really important moment, perhaps the quintessential encounter with God in the Old Testament. And then Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord says this in Exodus 32, verse 19, it'll come up on the screen. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion in our story in Luke chapter 7 in the small town of Nain the mercy of God has visited it comes in Jesus and Redeemer we center our community around Jesus around the meal that he left we worship Christ and we worship Jesus because he shows us what God is like if you've ever wondered what God is like point to Jesus. Jesus shows us what God is like. And in this moment, as he travels from Capernaum to Nain and encounters the funeral procession, Jesus once again shows us what God is like. He shows us that God is a God of mercy and a God of compassion, a God whose heart breaks for this mother who's lost her son, a God whose heart goes out to, who's moved by the emotion and the turmoil of this mother who's lost her only son like a father can't imagine the grief that is experienced at the loss of a child and i don't know if that has happened to anyone in this room today i don't know how you would deal with that kind of emotion or pain or situation but that's the kind of that is the way that god our father is toward us he is a god of parental love toward all of us Every single one of us. And Jesus shows us in his moment of encounter in this funeral procession, how his heart goes out to this woman. This woman's lost her husband before she's now lost her son. But to make matters worse, in the first century of ancient Palestine, a woman who had no male support in her life would go destitute. So on top of actually losing her, her, her father, sorry, on top of actually losing her husband, and her son, she's actually also facing, living a life that's not really worth living anymore because she has lost the male people in her life. It's because it's a male-centered system, it's a patriarchal system. In that culture, there would be really no way for a woman to look after herself or make money. There's some small ways, but not really. In fact, it would be most likely that she would end up on the street, begging or into prostitution. So not only is this woman raw in her pain from losing her son after losing her husband, she's also facing a life not worth living as well. There's also this widespread belief in that culture and in that religion, of course, that when bad things happen, when disaster befalls you, that that's a punishment from God for some sin in your life or something wrong with you. So on top of the raw pain of losing her husband and then now her son and facing a life that's not worth living, begging or giving herself to sex work on the street, she is also now living under the the, the shame of being punished by God, apparently, in the eyes of the community because of this disaster that has fallen upon her. Of course, that comes up in the Gospels, and Jesus has asked that question in in other situations. You know, especially with the man whose parents have sinned, or has he sinned? Where's the responsibility for that? And Jesus throws that theology out. He dismisses that theology outright. But it was the widespread belief. The more disaster and loss in your life, the more you must have done something wrong. The more God must be punishing you and judging you for your sins or for whatever is wrong with you. You can just imagine the social shame, the stigma attached to that if your life it was like the life of this, this woman. People in awful situations and circumstances living under that view. As I say, the loss of her son and husband, the loss of her future livelihood, and the shame, the, the ostracization of, of the shame and the stigma. And so Jesus meets this woman. Jesus, who is the representation of God in this story, the image of God, the one who has come to show us what God is like, shows us that God is not one who judges. Jesus does not judge this woman. He does not teach her that God is punishing her. He does not shame this woman, he does not avoid this woman. In fact, the story told in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus' heart went out with her went out to her with an intense compassion that shows us that God is a God whose heart goes out to those in need. Those who are living under shame, those who are deemed unclean, those who seem to have no future. This is this is the God that we worship. This is who God is like. What a holy mystery. What astonishing grace and mercy. In fact, Richard Beck says that grace is the only thing that is stronger than shame. The Grace and the mercy of God extinguishes shame. God's heart is breaking for this woman, breaking for the dire situation, breaking for her plight, her loss, her grief. God's heart is breaking because the world is not supposed to be this way. As Jesus walks through this gate and sees this the situation, his heart breaks because this is not the the way the world should be, the effects of evil and oppression and death in our world. But our God is a compassionate God, a merciful God, a God who loves this woman like a daughter. God loves this woman like a daughter. God's love has no limits. He loves this woman with total love like he loves you and me. This is the God revealed in Christ. And this compassion, this intense Compassion moves Jesus to action. Again, like a parent who's... You know the heartbreak of a child, a son or a daughter. Some of you know in this room and what you would do for that child to take them out of that pain, to take that pain in place of them. It's like the, the, the emotion in Jesus wants to take that pain from this woman. It's like the heart of the father is breaking because this daughter of, of God is suffering so much. And this parental love, so to speak, of God is toward all of us and it's expressed in this encounter, this radical encounter with this woman in this small village of Nain. And what happens is that Jesus intervenes, he interrupts the death march and he brings life where there's death. He brings reconnection where there's separation. He brings hope where there's a hopeless future. He brings life where there is death. And I guess this morning, alongside thinking about how we might cultivate a holy mystery in our lives to the God of surprises, the God who can show up, I would love to invite us to reflect upon our own own lives and rethink this encounter of the funeral procession. But in place of that funeral procession, Ask this question, where are the funeral processions going on in your own lives? Where is the funeral procession going on in my life? Where is that place of desolation, devastation, loss, grief, anxiety, disconnection? Where are the stories of lost relationships or broken relationships? Where are the stories where in the the eyes of others God looks upon you apparently as being unclean and punishing you? Where are those parts of our lives that are like corpses that need the touch of a loving God? The parts of our lives that feel and smell like death. All of us have that. All of us experience that. And what we see here in Jesus is a God who wants to come and touch those parts of our lives. It's a really simple message this morning. There's things in our lives that cause us to fear. Could be a sudden illness. Could be a challenging circumstance. Could be a broken or strained relationship. Could be the loss of a dream or a job or the sense of a future. Could be a traumatic event or a scandal. And the good news today is that Jesus wants to join you in the middle of that. Jesus wants to come near your mess. Jesus isn't standing at a distance. He wants to touch that which apparently is messy. He wants to be in the middle of it with you. His heart goes out to you, goes out to me. The strange traveling rabbi from Nazareth walks up to the dead corpses in our lives and if we are willing, touches them and transforms them. He is not repulsed, but he is full of compassion, deeply moved and full of mercy. And so the truth today is that death has no grip on us. In the arms of Jesus, we don't have anything to fear. In fact, with Jesus, we are in a place of holy mystery. A place where the holy God brings liberation by love. A place where we can trust God and invite him into our pain, into our tears, into our rawness. And once invited into the middle of it, Jesus will see us through. Jesus will see you through. Wherever that funeral procession going on in your life is, and some of those things are really big and significant and heavy because I know some of the stories in this room. But when we invite Jesus into the middle of those, he is not repulsed. He does not run away. He is moved with the compassion of a parent. He is full of love for you, for me. He will get us through. I'm really, really struck by two weeks ago, I preached on Mary and Elizabeth. And the Magnificat and the Song of Mary, which kind of echoes a song by Hannah in, in the book of Samuel. And the words of that song are this, that he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is the God of compassion, the God of mercy. The one who lifts up the lowly, and the one who is with us this morning. The one who I would love to invite us to quietly worship and noisily give gratitude to today. The one who comes to meet us. Psalm 27, verse 13 to 14 says this I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. I'd love to invite you to stand. I'd love to invite the band to come up. They're going to lead us in a a final song, and we're going to come to the table. We're going to worship at the table. I'd love to um, just take a moment just to reflect just at the table as we come a little bit more about some of the themes we've been talking about this morning. So I'd love to invite you again, maybe just to to take this moment like we did at the start and to feel the ground beneath your feet, put them straight. And to maybe put your hands out in front of you if you feel comfortable with that. And to maybe close your eyes if you feel comfortable with that. And I'd love to just take a moment again that we can kind of embody what we've been talking about a little bit, that we can kind of engage with it at some level. invite the Spirit of God to come and maybe even reveal to us some of the parts of our lives that just need the breath of God, that need the life of God, that need the grace of God, where shame can be lifted off, where liberation can come, where fear can be dismissed, where light can break in. Jesus, we need you. As we start another year in January, Lord, may you draw near to us and may you give us a heart that is open to the holy mystery in life. Give us spiritual eyes to see the mystery of life to not think that we have things all worked out, but in fact, to to be leaving room for that which causes us to be in sheer wonder and awe at how you work, at your creation, at this life. And Lord, we invite you now, as we start another year, to come and to meet us at the places where our lives feel a bit dead, places that weigh us down, the places that are projecting forward a life that feels it's not worth living, that feels hopeless. The places that continue to speak the story of shame over our lives. Strange rabbi from Nazareth, would you come and would you touch us? Would you bring freedom and liberation? Would you show us the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the God that does not judge the God that does not shame, the God that does not ostracize, but the God that gathers us under his wings, the God that invites us home, the God that calls us to belong, the God that gives us a name, the God that has put a song in our heart, the God that has rescued us and lifted us up from the ash, a God who lifts the lowly. Lord, we look to you, God, and may you by your spirit cause worship and awe and gratitude to rise up in our hearts. And if it doesn't, may the very rocks cry out, Lord, for you are worthy of our worship. And Lord, I thank you for the songs in this room and the worship that took place through song at the beginning of our time this morning, songs of the redeemed, Lord, stories in this room, Lord, where you have already touched those dead places where you're bringing resurrection life Lord, I pray for resurrection life today. Jesus, would you meet us in the middle of our mess, of our grief, of our loss. Whatever it might be, from the small things to the big things, we invite you to come and meet us. And would you see us through. We speak against fear, we speak against the stories that would disconnect us, that would bring shame, that would bring isolation. And we invite the love of God to touch us. And as we come to this table, which is the table of life, may you remind us of the life that comes to us through Jesus who walked the road of death, who entered into it and who overcame it, That we may be able to say, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your sting? And that may we have victory through Jesus today who brings life and life to the full. Lord, may we taste your mercy and grace in the bread and in the wine. And may we be reminded, Lord, that you're in the middle with us. You're walking alongside us. You didn't walk past us, but you stopped and you came over and you touched us. May we know your touch today as we continue to worship, Lord. Would you continue to minister to us and receive the glory in Jesus' name.